Well, I, I think men need to find their identity in God. You know, God is your father. He is your Lord. He's your king. He knows who you're meant to be. So be who he's called you to be. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your journey of faith. It's a journey that you have to do on your own, but we could come alongside you to encourage you, to challenge you, and to entertain you as we <laughs> choose. <laughs> My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Hey, everyone. So good to be with you on this Thursday. We talked about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and all of its uh, father themes on Tuesday. We studied uh, Hebrews chapter 12, Romans chapter 8, Galatians chapter 4, and how important a role of a father is. So today I'm going to be excited to because we're going to kind of get down to the nitty gritty. Um, so for those of you who maybe didn't listen to Tuesday's episode or need a quick refresher, we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. It's about five anti-heroes or people that who have uh, morally gray um, <laughs> compasses ideas in their head <laughs> that happen to come together as a found family um, yes. and save the universe yes, multiple they... times over and over again. They keep finding themselves in position to do so, which is a lot of hilarity. And a lot of them, um, like you discussed on Tuesday, didn't grow up with fathers. And we yeah. see some of the issues of not growing up with a father in some of their character flaws, right? Yes. Um, as someone who loves movies and studies movies and writing, you have to always understand motivations and why someone would do something. And we see a lot of the unhealthy habits in these anti-heroes lives stemming from probably the idea that they either grew up with a father who was very bad or they had no father at all mm -hmm. and we see this in so many movies um on the real stakes podcast our yeah. first episode was about the northman and man of steel so the northman's a brand new movie it's talking about fatherhood in that there's a lot of big father themes in that movie mm. and then man of steel has a similar premise to guardians of the galaxy in that there are two fathers there's the biological father that sent Kal-El to Earth, mm -hmm. and then there's the father who raised him, which was Jonathan Kent, and they have differing yeah. things going on, right? And mm -hmm. what they value and who they are and mm -hmm. how they affected how Clark Kent grew up. So yeah. we see this theme in so many different movies, but we are focused here on Guardians of the Galaxy uh, volume two volume because two, yeah. um, it has a very it's a little more prominent and pronounced yeah. than I think some of these other movies do yeah, it it's, little, it's, 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 it's a, a little, little fresher yeah and it's got that 80s music which is classic dad rock which helps right <laughs> that helps so well the reason we chose this sequel in particular is because you know all the underlying themes are about fatherhood mm. and its impact on people and it's interesting you named all of those movies that were about fatherhood and even, you know, you look at Top Gun 2 Maverick that just came out mm -hmm. and there's a huge theme there about father because Maverick is involved with Goose, you know, his son, son who's right. now and trying to yeah, figure out, navigate that, navigate situation. that situation, you know, and he said, I did the best I could. And I just don't think mm -hmm. I did a good job, you know, being a surrogate father. And so there's all these issues and it's amazing. All these movies that address these issues are massive, mm -hmm. you know? You have all these men pulling their wives to see these movies, and it's just over and over again. Well, and it helps them communicate something that they maybe feel but don't know how to. Yeah. It's it resonating with them, and they're like, I need you to see this because this is 
some of the things I'm feeling that I maybe don't have the correct words to express to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like this is resonating with me, but I'm not necessarily entirely sure why it's, mm -hmm. it's doing what it's doing, or I don't know how to tell you yeah, what I, it's doing. Well, it me. just resonates, you know, yes. it hits me in the feels as they say. <laughs> uh, well, but it's not just men, it's for women too. You know, it, we didn't discuss this on Tuesday, but they're in, in the storyline, there is a huge fight between Gamora, the green girl and her adopted sister, Nebula. Nebula just wants to kill her, right? Mm -hmm. Is trying, constantly trying to kill her, tries to run her over with a spaceship and they fall into a hole and they're fighting and they're fighting. And, you know, finally Gamora gets the upper hand. And the reason why they were, she wants to fight uh, Gamora and kill her is because being raised by Thanos, who was a psycho, uh, he made them fight with each other mm -hmm. and whoever won got a present and whoever lost got punished and Gamora beat Nebula a lot. And mm -hmm. so Nebula got turned into this machine and, and it was just this horrible, you know, of course, Gamora's just trying to survive. It was the most toxic situation that you could imagine. And so now Gamora is trying to get revenge on her and work it all out. And in this fight scene, she finally submits uh, Nebula finally submits Gamora. She has a knife. She's ready to stab her with it and she just can't do it. And, and basically she says to her, you know, uh, you always had to win, you know, Gamora, you always had to win and destroy this. And she goes, I was just trying to survive, you know, um, all you wanted to ever do was kill me. And what's really interesting is, uh, Nebula then says this very, very important line. She says, you always wanted to win, but all I ever wanted was a sister. Mm. And, you know, a father can create hatred or love in their children's lives. And this is just goes to show how Thanos, this father figure destroyed this potential adopted sisterhood between Nebula and Gamora. And then after that, you know, Gamora realizes that, uh, I'm sorry, Nebula realizes that Gamora, the green gal is not my enemy. Thanos is who did mm. this to us. Right. And so she says, I'm going to go and get him. And so as she's ready to leave, Gamora walks up and Nebula gets in a defensive posture to fight and she walks up, she puts her arms around her like the very first times and gives her a hug. Mm -hmm. And that, I, I just see that as a very touching moment in the movie. Cause what that, that, what I like about it is a couple things. And number one is when we realize the source of our trauma and the source of our problem, healing begins. And the problem that we have today is we blame all the wrong things for our trauma. You know, oh, this person did this to me. That's my, you know, in Nebula's case, Gamora always had to win. That's why this was a problem. Very few people, especially kids, how do you look back and go, well, actually, it's this system that Thanos set up that created this toxicity. Mm -hmm. And so uh, oftentimes Satan is much more to blame than the person you're so angry with right now in a lot of different ways. And so I think that that's really important to realize that fathers um, uh, really influence a child's life growing up. It has a tremendous impact on it, just like a mom. Yeah. And I think the the need for fathers is underplayed um, in the last mm -hmm you know, a couple decades, it's, it's kind of been pushed down. And I mean, I grew up without a father that was present most of the time. And mm -hmm. that, like I said, shared on Tuesday, that 
could have been much worse had I not had men in my church who stepped up yeah. and still helped. And I think there's still things that I'm working through and things that I'm resolving and dealing with because of that. I mean, those men stepped up and they helped me in a lot of ways, but you know, not having a father every day that I came home to that I could lay these things and burdens down on did cause some problems, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's fine. I'm working through it and I'm learning more and more. My value is not through you know, these things, but ultimately God loves me and I'm his child and he's right. showing me who I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And that's been a process. But I think the downplaying of a need for a father in the life of a child is very damaging in so many ways, whether it's, you know, just their daily life of being able to go, I have a responsible male I can go home to, mm -hmm. um, in, to support me in whatever way or learning how to do things or how to, you mentioned on Tuesday dealing with, um, as men, you know, some of these drives that we have, or mm -hmm. as women, what is my value? What should a, a healthy, healthy relationship, relationship with a man look like? Mm -hmm. And those things are something that can't really be faked. Does right. that make sense? They right. can't be faked. And the same is flipped for, for women. If you grow up without a mom, there are things that you lose out on, on yes. how to relate or how to handle different things. And so having both is really important as much as you can. And sometimes you have other people step up and that's really good, but you need to try to strive for figuring out how to have that fatherly figure in your life, whether they're biological or something else, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think that this is something that's really important. And that is, is that all men and all women have to resolve this issue. You know, star Lord was driven to go with ego his father, because it was a hole in his life. In the same way, young men today are driven to try and resolve this relationship with their fathers, regardless of whether it was healthy or in most cases, it's unhealthy. Um, it's as if they can't find peace within themselves until that issue is resolved. Women oftentimes can't resolve or can't can't walk in the fullness of, of who they're created to be until they resolve that as well. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately we tend to not become aware of this until we turn 30. Yeah. That's when it kind of starts to hit you because you have all these ideas about relationships and people, you pursue relationships, they don't work out. And then you start to see patterns and you're going, I don't get it. Why am I, you know, girls are like, why am I always attracted to these guys, you know, that are bad for me? What's up with that? You know, and, uh, guys, why am I always attracted to these women that are this way or, um, you know, in, in any situation, you're this, why? And then when you get to 30, you start realizing, oh, all this it stuff from yeah, somewhere else, somewhere else. I'm starting to realize it. And, that, and that's what's so hard. I mean, you know, let's say you're a young lady, you were raised up without a dad. And so somewhere subconsciously, you make this, this, uh, switch that, wow. Um, I, I find my value in being sexually wanted by males, right? Mm -hmm because I didn't get that affirmation. You know, it's really interesting. I was reading an article uh, where this guy was talking about, um, let me see here. He, he's talking about to FBI agents and asked, uh, he was uh, interviewing a sex trafficker. This is a guy who was arrested for trafficking, convicted and went to prison. And so he was then uh, interviewing him in order to increase their investigative techniques. And he said, look, how do you, do you find your victims? How were you able to grab these girls and then, you know, 
turn them into traffic. You can traffic them for sex. And he said, well, it's really not that hard. He says, I would spot a young girl at the mall. I would go up to her and say, you have beautiful eyes. If the girl smiled and said, thank you, I would move on. So if the girl looked at me and smiled and said, thank you, I would move on. But if she looked down and said, no, I don't, the man said, she was my target. Mm. And see, here's the thing is girls without dads who love them unconditionally and tell them they are beautiful, especially become especially vulnerable to the lines of predators. You know, they doubt that they're pretty, they doubt that they're attractive. Right. And so they will deny a compliment. And so I, I thought that was really a significant point being made is that we have to work through these issues or we become more susceptible to the schemes and the methods of the devil that tend to undermine us and who we're called to be. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as we grow, like you said, you hit your thirties, you have to start realizing there's some gaps and there's some lack of peace in your life that mm -hmm. if you want to continue going through this life, you finally go, you know, I've done 30 years of it this way. Yeah. And it's not really <laughs> what I thought it was going to be. Yes. I'm ready to find some peace and you peace. And you have to start finding resolutions to that, figuring out, okay, well, where am I deriving my value from yes. as a man or as a woman? You know, am I looking to these other people in my life to try to validate who I am Correct. or these relationships or my job or what am I putting in that hole that is trying to fill this gap that I don't have because I had a father who was abusive or wasn't Correct. there or whatever. And so we have to start f making those adjustments. And some people hit that earlier. Some people hit that much later. Yes. And so, but you know, this average of 30 feels about right. And you have to start finding what is your value really coming from and yeah. what do you believe about yourself and how do you move forward? So uh, my question, I guess, is why is this lack of fathers or fathers that are really raising their children mm -hmm. rather than just biologically contributing to children? Well, why things are yeah. such an issue. Well, it's, it's definitely worse today than it was just, you know, 70 years ago. Mm. It's obviously much worse. Once again, we see the impact of philosophy and policy on our nation. You know, uh, th there, here's an article and this article is, uh, uh, written by, uh, Terrence Jeffrey. He's a, uh, a social scientist. Uh, he's also the editor in chief of a uh, news magazine, CNS News Corp. And he just says, you know, what's really interesting is that in 1941, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and the United States entered World War II, there were 2,500,000 babies born in this country. Out of those, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, only 95,000, 3.8% were born to unmarried mothers. Only 3.8%. And then what happens is in the 1950s, the percentage of American babies born to unmarried mothers began to slowly tick up, hitting 5%, only 5% of all children. Do you know what it is today out of all children? What? Over 40%. Oh my gosh. In, in the minority communities, like in the black community, it's over 70%. Mm. Okay. So what in the world from 19, you know, 65 or whatever, in just 50 years has skyrocketed it. And the only thing, according to his premise is, 
1941, Medicaid, which is a form of welfare, did not exist. And then in 1965, authorized by Title 19 of the Social Security Act, Medicaid was signed into law along with Medicare. And then by July 2021, according to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, there were 76 million people enrolled in Medicaid. The last fiscal year, according to the monthly treasury statement, the federal government spent $520 billion on that one program alone. Mm. Okay. In when Medicaid was created in 65, only 7.7% of American babies were born to unmarried mothers. But then in by 2020, it's at 42%. So the, the point is he's saying is that as this is a direct correlation between this explosion in uh, children birthed and raised without both biological parents. And uh, so it's like the government wanted to help. And this is the, this is the thing that happens in bureaucracies called the philosophy of bureaucracies that I've been talking about and working on for quite some times is that bureaucracies want, sometimes they want to help. They have good intentions, but you know, what's paved with good intentions the road to hell. The road to hell. And it's created hell. Because in a desire to help, it what it ended up doing is it punished good behavior and rewarded bad behavior. Another perfect example of, is this, is that in Seattle, there was a massive outbreak of the bubonic plague. And so they brought in a consultant from the government who went up there and said, oh yeah, this is the bubonic plague. Guess what? It's uh, spread through the fleas on the back of rats who live in your sewer. Okay. And your sewer system in Seattle at that time had zero, uh, sewer system. You know, they basically just dumped it down into the sound. And so you can actually go to downtown Seattle now and you can do an underground tour because what they did is they raised the roads two floors. And so eventually mm. all the downtown buildings just made their second floor, the main entrance, the main entrance. Yeah. Right. So now you can go down and see the old storefronts. It's really kind of eerie mm. and creepy. Why did this city require that? Because they wanted to raise the roads to get the sewer lines to go to a processing plant, right. And take care of it. Well, the reason I'm bringing this story up is because what they did is they decided to pass two laws. You know what the first law was? You couldn't go to the bathroom without taking your 45 or your rifle because you were required to shoot rats and kill them while you're going to the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> and this is my theory on why men started to spend so much time in the bathroom. <laughs> That's where that comes from. <laughs> That's funny right there, isn't it? But uh, the other thing that happened is they said, okay, for every tail that you give us from a rat, guess what we'll do? We'll give you a nickel. So, I mean, this was well over 130 years ago or something like that. So right. it's like, wow, that's a lot. So guess what happened? All the boys found out that rats regrow their tails. <laughs> so what did all the boys start doing? Just chopping the tail off and they then would, letting yeah, them go. They bred rats. Mm. The whole point was to get rid of the rats, you know, right. kill the rats, bring us a tail. We'll give you a nickel like a bounty. So what they started doing was breeding rats. So mm. they, made the problem much, much worse. In the same way, sometimes our good intentions end up with really bad consequences. And the consequence of this program, uh, on the one hand, we can't get rid of it because it helps so many people, 
But on the other hand, it creates a massive problem that ultimately could bring about the collapse of the society. Mm. And so that is, that's a scary thing when you really think about it. I mean, the bottom line is, is this, is that these, uh, government programs that are designed to help can sometimes hinder. And we've got to look at the raw data, get the facts and make better decisions. Uh, which is really difficult in a politically charged environment. But the other thing we have to realize too, is that the fatherlessness that we're seeing is not only advent of a government program, but it's also because the Marxist ideology of social theory is very prevalent in our society. Mm. They want government to become the father and they want the loyalty to be committed to the state and not to the father. Marxist ideology, is prevalent in critical social theory, which was the Frankfurt School in the 30s in Princeton, Yale, Columbia. It started in Columbia and then kind of migrated out. It's what became critical race theory, gender theory, feminist theory, all of these different theories that we see today all come out of this same tree. And so these ideologies are built on the principles of a social reconstruction and the number one hindrance to any social engineering, the number one hindrance to any massive shift in social ideology is dads Mm. because dads always seem to know what's best. So disempowering fathers and making them unavailable or unmotivated is basically making Mm -hmm. the culture as a whole easier to manipulate and control, right? And that's uh, yeah, the idea absolutely. is that basically if you make the dads impotent, yes. then we can kind of do whatever we need to and no one's going to stop us, right? And so it's created this um, very traumatized group of children who are growing up to be the adults where yes. they're just constantly looking for something. And if they don't have the hope that we have in Jesus Mm -hmm. where we can go, we have a real father. We can find our value and fix this trauma. You just have men that go through their whole lives, basically broken, beaten down and willing to go, well, whatever, or yep, they said that's the thing. So I guess that's the thing. So we're going to just do that. And our society really does a huge disservice because the focus in social engineering is poverty, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, well, people do these things because they're poor. And which is, of course, is an insult to poor people because I, I spent a lot of time with poor people. I've been poor in my life, extremely poor. And I know a lot of poor people. We work with poor people all the time. And I often find poor people to be more ethical than mm. really, really rich people, right? right? Uh, Cause they don't have any money to buy their way out of a problem. Absolutely. You know? So I, I find it, I tend to see, but what's interesting is that it's not poor that causes these issues. It's fatherlessness and the breakdown of the nuclear family. So whether you're poor or rich doesn't matter, right? It's whether you have an intact family. And so I think what's really critical to understand is that sometimes in poor situations, you'll have more fatherlessness, right? And that, but that's a correlation. That's not a causation. Okay. And that's really important to understand. So I think, I think these cultural identities are really pushing this and causing this to happen. And that's not a good thing. So what can men focus on in order to counter these cultural ideologies that you've brought up? Well, I I think men need to find their identity in God. You know, God is your father. He is your Lord. He's your king. He knows who you're meant to be. So be who he's called you to be. And the biggest 
thing. It's a very simple statement, but it's very difficult to do. And that is, I must view myself as God views me, not as I view me. That's a big shift. I have to view me as God views me, not as I view me. And in order to do that, I need to know what I believe. I need to have convictions and I need to understand why I believe what I believe. I have to understand when God looks at me, what does he see, right? He sees someone who is created in his image, but has a problem that has to be dealt with. That's called sin. Mm. It has to be addressed. It has to be dealt with because it influences everything about me, even down to my DNA in ways I can't even imagine. And so walking with God is a process of understanding, mitigating, redeeming, and healing the influence of sin in my life. And so how do I do that? How do I stay motivated? How do I stay encouraged? Well, I have to know what I believe. I have to know the truth. I have to know why I believe it because it's true. God Mm. says it's true. And then what I need to do is I need to walk and pursue God because he's going to continually reveal truth to me. He's going to continually show me how I need to heal. Uh, As you were saying earlier, he's going to continue to reveal to you the adjustments that need to be made, the things that are swimming around in there, maybe a Mm. narrative you tell yourself that just is not true. But you can't do that on your own, out in the world, all by yourself. It's never going to happen. You're just going to get stuck in a rut. You're going to get stuck in a, a thinking loop, and you're just going to perpetuate the influences of sin and flaw in your life. Whereas when you walk with Jesus and you're engaged with him, he shows you, look at these ideologies and what they're doing. And now you know why these ideologies are evil. It's, it's interesting. I was reading an article of a guy who said that people who are raised uh, in the public education system and went to Michigan State, he was a philosophy professor at Michigan State, and so he taught an introduction to philosophy, and he had people come in and sit in his uh, class. And he said, there in Michigan State, I would always ask a survey, how many of you people say that what Hitler did in the Holocaust was wrong? And he said, over the course of my teaching, what I found is the fewer and fewer hands would go up. And he said, it got up to about only 60, 65% of the hands would go up and say, absolutely what he did is wrong. And so he'd pull all those other people and these other students would all say the same thing. They would say, well, I would never do that, but I can't actually say that what he did was wrong. That moral ambivalence is a huge problem, and it's the result of these ideologies, right, that are being propagated into our society. So if you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, then you can't see the danger of these ideologies as they come out. We, it should be a no-brainer for us to stand up and say, communism is evil, There's nothing good about it. It's evil. And yet we have more communists in our university system today than you could ever imagine. Mm. That's not good. That is very bad. (laughs) It used to be agreed that they were very bad. That seems to be less of a, a, a shared belief these days. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that you can do as a father right now, the biggest ideology that you can grab onto and say is that I am meant 
to be a real man and only God can tell me what that is. And so I'm going to try to discover that. And what you're going to find is you're going to find absolutes. You're going to find a code of honor. And once you find that and you start pursuing that, you learn how to take responsibility for things in your life. It gets you out of that uh, blame game, which young men tend to fall into. And then what it does is it really empowers you and strengthens you uh, in a way that brings courage and confidence in your life like you never thought before. You start believing what you can do. You start believing that God is going to do new things through you that you never imagined. And you start, you're going to be able to recognize false ideas, false principles, false morals. Mm-hmm. And you're going to say to yourself, my goal is not to get through life trying to get myself to forgive forget, you know, my low sense of value, but now I see myself as God sees me. And I, I, that is so rich and so powerful and so strong. I want more of it, not less. I want to be able to go out and grab a hold of that so that I can accomplish and become the person that I was called to be. So that's a big deal. And I think, uh, this weekend, as we dig into father's day, pastor Harvard is going to be preaching on the importance of fathers. You're not going to want to miss it dads, because not only uh, do you need to hear the truth, you need to be the truth for all those young boys and girls here to see you walking in truth and pursuing God to become the father you're called to be. Absolutely. And we're going to have a great message from Pastor Harv, like you said. And then we're also celebrating dads in general here at the church. We're having a big um, basically Father's Day celebration with a photo booth and dad's root beer and a popsicle stand and the kids are making stuff. It's going to be a Tons great time fun. celebrating all the dads in our lives um, for what they do for us and um, how they help yes. us. So um, we encourage you guys to come on campus if you can. If you're watching online, um, know that we are thinking about you. And while we can't send you a dad's root beer um, at this time, we are thinking about you and we do appreciate you. So thank you guys so much for joining us here on the Salty Pastor this week. Make sure you tune in on Sunday or join us on campus for celebrating Father's Day. And we'll see you next week here on the Salty Pastor podcast. Blessings. Blessings.